Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. And Sean, with the Wizards defeating the Indiana Pacers last night in a score that I'm not looking up because it was just, I mean, the Wizards murdered them. We'll just say it was by a lot. We have a very special guest on with us to preview the Sixers-Wizards matchup now in the 1-8 spots of the Eastern Conference playoffs. It is Mike Prada, one of the best basketball minds out there covering the game. He's the host of the Limited Upside podcast and show on the Locker Room app. And he is currently working on a book about the tactical evolution of modern basketball in the NBA. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? We're pretty good. We're ready for this series, Sean. Yeah, it's great. Uh, We don't have to talk about playing tanking teams or teams that are missing half their rosters we don't have to dive into our miami heat angst anymore because Mm. we we wouldn't potentially play them until at easter conference finals so sixers uh have a great path here and hopefully if they just stay healthy and play to their capability it should be a fun spring into early summer here in uh, philadelphia basketball land yeah and like Mike, we could probably have Mike on to talk about any team in the NBA, considering how much basketball he watches. But Mike is a Wizards fan, so it is personal for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mike, yep. how, what's been like the Wizards after a season that a season then that came in? Probably people were thinking they could be in a spot like this, where like that six to eight seed range is not probably a team making a second round series, but a team that will be competitive. They mm-hmm. have basically a catastrophic first few months of the season. It's not going well. They were losing a lot. And then they turn it on here at the end of the season after the post after the trade that sent Daniel Gafford to their team made some changes, like a lot of stuff kind of changed. And they've now built up this momentum coming as the eight seed. What's it been like as watching the whole team this season? Uh, what a weird season! I I've stopped like kind of running with the highs and lows of this season because I mean to your point, they've kind of ended up kind of where we many of us thought they would end up, just in the way in a way that made absolutely no sense. So I, you know, it's, it's just tight. I I think it's been an exhausting year for a lot of diehard Wizards fans um, because there's sort of the, the conflicting emotions of like, honestly, it's probably would have been better for their long-term future if they didn't make the playoffs. This is a team that kind of, you know, very much like I would say the Sixers of the pre Sam Hinkie era, you know, kind of constantly shooting for that uh, lower tier seed. They're just sort of stuck without really a kind of firm direction other than let's just try to kind of reach this limited benchmark each year. Uh, so there's, there's that element. Um, there's also, I think the, the trade of John wall, which I think for a lot of long-term fans was difficult emotionally, if not, if not necessarily intellectually uh, just to have, him just suddenly be off the team but then you also have sort of Bradley Beal them wanting to keep him which means you got to try to win and then just you toss in the Russell Westbrook dynamic to that uh, not just considering the very odd season that he had where he goes from being a total train wreck to being totally awesome just like the, like that like he's the switch flipped but also just everything that the Rusk thing brings all the com- all the sort of debates and conversations and you know this chance so you end up with this sort of challenge of like do I, this is fun, but also it's kind of doesn't feel right. And what happens at the end of the season? Are they going to do too much uh, to make too much of this? And so it's kind of been a very strange ride. I think at a certain point, I was just sort of like, you know what? Like, I'll worry about all that other angst later. Like we're here, may as well try to be as good as we can. So I guess that's sort of where I'm at right now, but um, definitely an odd year, you know, I, I think if they think that this is like kind of a really sustainable like springboard to something long-term, like I think that is very misguided, but worry about that later. It's almost like you could say the 2021 Wizards had a limited upside. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they always did, you know, they, they, uh, they still, they do. Yeah. Okay. Limited downside, maybe, but limited upside. (laughs) So Mike, you, you brought up Russ as, as a guy who, you know, covers the whole NBA but now getting to see him probably on a more night to night basis, has your opinion of him as a player changed at all? No, not really. Honestly, no. You know, I, I said at the beginning of the year and like, I think this got taken. I was frustrated when I put this out there. And so, and I think it's easy to lead into this as like a really negative 
portrayal of Russ, but like I, I think that it's true even in times when he's playing well. It's a lot more fun, or at least a lot more of a consistent experience, and a lot more like kind of when you're able to detach from like the is Russ good for our team at this very moment? Um, whole to, to like kind of live and die with everything he does, like it just is such a roller coaster. When you're able to detach from that and just sort of observe him as a neutral, it is a lot more fun to follow him. Like he's a, so I said something along the lines of he's a lot more fun when he's not on your favorite team. And at the time, that was kind of a reference to how poorly he was playing and how frustrating he was. But I think that there is some element of truth to that, even when he's playing well, just because it's so exhausting. You know, there's no subtlety to Russell Westbrook's game, and that's for better and for worse. I mean, that's that will is why they're here, you know, why their season didn't end. But it, it's so black and white. And so I don't think anything necessarily changed from seeing that up close. I mean, it's basically been the type of, again, the type of season I expected, just not in the order that I expected it to go in. Um, so, you know, maybe like I underestimated the degree to which that like at a certain point, like your team just is Russell Westbrook, like the conversation, the structure, the entire sort of apparatus, like how much he kind of controls that and how like every sort of discussion, every sort of strategy, everything just kind of becomes about him and everything flows from there. I, I think I maybe underestimated that. Uh, ooh, hold on uh, one second. I just disconnected myself. Yeah. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear yeah. you. Sorry, I just accidentally disconnected my headphones. Um, but yeah, what are you two? But yeah, I, I underestimated that a little bit. But as far as like the style of play in his game, like no, none of this is surprising. No, anything that Russell Westbrook does is particularly surprising. You know what it is there are i wrote a piece about him before the season kind of thinking about like maybe some of the subtler uh ways his game might evolve and we've seen some elements of that but by and large you know what you're getting with him and i think that's what we've gotten yeah and then in contrast i mean the other star of the wizards uh bradley beal someone i know i follow you and you tweet about him a lot and how special he is at times like finishing just behind Steph Curry in the score race. I was watching some of the Sixers-Wizards games from – and we'll, we'll get more into that, but I was watching the Sixers-Wizards games from earlier this season. And Tough matchup, isn't he, when he's healthy for the Sixers? Well, it's a tough matchup if they keep putting Danny Green on him. Because, I mean, we love Danny. We are pro Danny Green, but he cannot chase guys off the ball if they are good off-ball, like, movers. like Brad uh-huh. Well, but see, okay, uh, I don't know if you want to get into sort of the nitty-gritty of this, but to me, this is why Bradley Beal's health is kind of the key to the whole series and why, as a Wizards fan, I'm less optimistic about this going long, mostly just because he's not healthy. Because if he is healthy, you know, Philly's got what – did Philly have the number one defense and number two defense? I forget I where they ranked. Number one. Did they finish ahead of the Lakers? Wasn't it like – I can check cleaning the glass real quick, but I think they pulled ahead at like the last part of Okay. So this is a team that obviously is built to stop perimeter players, but there's something about the way Beal operates off the ball combined with his intense strength when he does kind of get the ball downhill that I think this team struggles with. It's a weird match. It's a challenging matchup for them because you could, I mean, if it's not Danny Green, your options are Simmons, obviously, but Simmons, I think you would agree that Simmons is a very great defender, but is better against the like, I know the ball's in front of me type of guys and they'll, they'll have the ball all the time types like your Lucas, your kind of those types of players that he's played Luca very well, Donovan Mitchell's those types, but he's but against Beal who operates a lot on those wide pin downs and off the ball. That's a tough assignment to chase him a lot. And then everybody else you could possibly put on him, Danny green, Tybal, even like, they're just, they're just a little too skinny. You know, Beal is so strong in the lower base. So, and then you combine that with the drop covers that Embiid plays. And if Beal is hitting his pull-up shot, like he is a challenge for them. Like just they're weird, even though like Philly is built to stop top scorers, his unique cadence in the game is a, is a bit strange for them to deal with. They don't have an obvious answer. And so, but the, but if he's not, fully healthy and i don't think he's anywhere close and i mean frankly i'd be surprised if he finished the series in one piece uh then the wizards chances of an upset go like way down no yeah we were like discussing it and uh like 
So I just think mainly it can't be Danny Green because like he is his Danny Green's best thing is when you can put him on a guy who isn't a huge threat, just someone with size and he can help off ball because he has long arms, good timing, good understanding of where to be. But his like just off ball screen navigation, like watching those Wizards games back, he ran into a lot of screens and was just trailing Beal. So we were actually thinking about like, could the Sixers maybe cut some of Danny Green's minutes to put in someone like Thibel. I know what you said, you had a good point there about Beal's lower body strength and how we can get into Thibel. But I mean, just, I think if your main concern is Beal wrecking you off of all those wide pin downs, all that off ball action, forcing someone to navigate screens and stuff like that and getting through those tight spaces, like Matisse Thibel can get through those spaces. Like it might look like he's trailing, but he, Matisse, like that's what he does to teams. Like he looks like he's trailing and then suddenly he isn't. And then he's Mm -hmm. back again. So they can, and the thing is, Obviously, the big concern there is you take out, swap out Danny Green from Matisse Thibel. It's a very big difference in your offense because teams very much respect Danny Green as a shooter. They don't respect Matisse Thibel. But from what I saw, like the Wizards defense, like I don't think, I think the Sixers, at least with their bully ball tactics with Tobias Harris, Embiid, with Ben Simmons on some of his cuts, even Matisse Thibel even has some skill as a cutter just because he is, he's like relatively tall and athletic. And if he can catch the ball, he can go up and finish. Like, I think their offense will still be viable enough that maybe you can put Thibel out there more often than you expect. Have him deal with Beal in those off-ball settings. Have Ben Simmons on Russell Westbrook and then kind of assume our offense is going to be good enough that our defense and our defense will support it from there and we can live with that. You make a sound argument. Uh, I guess the question ultimately is the how are the Wizards going to double-team Joel Embiid um and what what sort of angles are they going to double team him from because if i mean in the first game they were sort of doing a lot of doubling from the baseline mm-hmm. uh if i recall a lot of and, yeah and I, I remember the first game of the season joel really struggled until the fourth quarter but like all season he's gotten a lot of better a lot better at those scenarios and you kind of picked them apart in the second game and that game where Beal had 60 points and that game was just a total ridiculous basketball game, like so many. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I see the logic there. One of the, one of the real questions to me is that with the Sixers in general, and maybe you guys can kind of talk through this is Embiid's ability to, to read the doubles is very much tied to his ability to catch the ball in preferred spots. You know, I've read about him facing the basket, but you know, if he gets those easy catches, then there's just an orderly sense of where everyone is, where everyone's cutting, and that's when he is a most successful at picking out those passes. That's just going to be – in the playoffs, like, teams are just not going to let him do that. And, I mean, the, to, with respect to this matchup, like, I, I would think that the fear I'd have as a Wizards fan is for Scott Brooks to be like, well, we've got three centers. Like, we don't need to – we can just sort of put a bunch of fouls on him. We don't need to do all that elaborate doubling. And, like, exactly my thought is, no, no, you need exactly to do that. A lot of fouls is exactly what Embiid wants every time. He right. Foul line. Right. So, I mean, that if you're kind of th- saying to yourself, like, well, we've got three centers and we're going to try to let them handle the job, I think that's the entirely wrong approach. And so I just don't know what whether that's going to be the case. Uh, because they have not played since Gafford was was acquired. Yeah, that's not going to work against Embiid. Um, his ability to read defenses and pass out of double teams has grown exponentially, um, not only during the course of this year, but he's light years ahead of where he was last year and previous years. Um, the best way to kind of combat him is to just mix things up, and you have to have different options. You have to double sometimes stay at home others you have to double from different places and different angles you just have to make him kind of be out there thinking constantly like mm-hmm. okay what are they doing where is it coming from well miami does basically yeah exactly so miami is a perfect uh opponent to combat and beat because they have a lot of smart long defenders that can disrupt those passing lanes they know when exactly to time their their double teams when to lay off like they're just smart veterans and they have the the long athletic wings that can get that done um boston in years past has been a team that Embiid's kind of struggled with at times just mm-hmm. in terms of turning the ball over and everything else in that area um but yeah just just adopting a strategy and sticking with it is not going to 
work against Embiid. Like the one-on-one stuff, he's just going to eat that up. He's going to draw the pals. He's going to get 15 free throw attempts and he'll be looking at a easy 35 point game. Um, Mm -hmm. If you just have, Hey, we're going to double in this situation. He's smart enough now that he's going to be able to read that and get the ball to his teammates. And they have enough perimeter shooting around him now that you can hurt teams that way. Uh, Yeah. I just, I don't know if Scott Brooks is going to be like the, don't be, don't, 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 be, don't sugarcoat it, man. Just say it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's a savvy enough coach to get it done. Um, yeah, there you go. We talk about Beal and all his – the ways he can hurt the Sixers. But for me, I just – I don't see this going very long because I don't think the, the Wizards really have an answer for Joel Embiid. Well, so it's an interesting thought because, yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right – it's interesting again if you think about like sort of structurally like they've got big bodies to guard him but you're right that what the wizards don't have and one of the the elements that i think they don't have and that they is different is that they are pretty small outside of their center spots so they're playing a lot of Carl neto uh ish smith with russ they're playing I mean, they should play more Garrison Matthews. They're playing Bertans, who plays very small, even though he isn't small. Uh, so they don't have, again, like kind of those, they, they don't have those spaces covered for those passes. And, you know, really they're going to have to junk it up like crazy. And I think they have one punch there and not a second. So, I mean, I think that you're, you're, you, there's a reason, there's reason for you to be confident you know, that's why I think like the series, the length of the series ultimately comes down to how healthy Beal is when mm-hmm. I don't think he's very healthy at all. Yeah. And I wanted to, since you guys talked a lot about them doubling Embiid and like, as Sean will know, I've talked about this a lot this season. I've been posting about it a lot, like how teams will show that strong help from the baseline. The Sixers have someone in the dunker spot. Embiid usually is not willing, or, whether it's not willing or not capable of making that like little whip pass down to the dunker spot if it's well, like, i'll tell you why it's because simmons is simmons doesn't move as well as you should yeah that's, to, that's in a cutting part. position that's part of it i do think there are times when mb like misses it when it is there because sometimes what whether he like i don't think he feels super confident and he feels usually more comfortable throwing skip passes because he can see over guys i will say the sixers like watching some of those early games back against the wizards the season like their spacing like, like the first game of the season the season opener it's so weird looking back at that because when i watch it the teams do things that they just don't do anymore like the sixers ran like ben simmons off a few iverson cuts and like trying to do something like they just haven't done that in a long time like they, mm-hmm. there's some weird stuff like that they're doing that or there were very few mb post-ups for a good stretch of the game like in the season opener like they don't let that happen anymore so it's very right very clear that things have changed so it is hard to see how much can you take away when both probably not much the wizards have like completely changed um but yeah i feel like and that's one of the things with those like when the wizards were showing strong help but then the sixers spacing was worse they were still figuring out like there was one time danny green and ben simmons both cut to the dunker spot at the same time it was very much trying to feel out okay how do we do this how do we do this and they've kind of since gotten a more of a pattern of that which has helped um with those three wizard centers, who do you feel the most confident in? Like, obviously, they're not one-on-one guarding Embiid. It's a team guarding Embiid. Like, mm-hmm. Who do you feel the most comfortable having out there most of the time between Robin Lopez, Daniel Gafford, and Alex Len? I think it depends on when in the game you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I I think a lot of to me, like sort of this like whole three center like token Alex Len starter minutes, then you go to Gafford, then the Lopez thing is like a cute regular season thing against most teams, but it actually might functionally work against the Sixers and Embiid in a weird way. Like, if they played any other opponent and they tried to do that, it'd just be like, guys, like, it's the playoffs. Like, it's a different scenario. But I think there is some logic in, like, kind of letting Alex Lenz start, kind of pick up a bunch of be physical with him, maybe go to a different option in Gafford as more of a speed option. I I fear for Gafford in the series foul trouble-wise, though. Um, But uh, and I would be concerned about him against Dwight Howard in the second unit as well. My guess is that given Brooks's proclivities and given the state of the game, I'm guessing Lopez will probably get most of the time or at least a plurality of the time in this yeah. series uh, just because of how solid he is. So um, 
but again, it, to, to your point earlier, it's really not about who's on him primarily. It's sort of about all, what all the other guys are doing. And, you know, Joel's, my feeling is that Joel's double team passing improvement is less to do with his own vision and more to do with sort of the structure that has been put in place, not necessarily just the spacing, but the, the orderly nature of he catches the ball in these points. And when he catches the ball in these points, he does this. And then at that point, the players cut and that opens up that it just, it, the reads are just simpler. And so anything that can be done to complicate the reads is really how you kind of get at him. It's really not as much about who you put on him primarily. So, um, but I, I would say my guess is that you'll get, it, it will be fairly similar to, how the Wizards have approached their center rotation during the regular season. Yeah, and you say, like, I mean, that's a good point, like, how the structured reads and, like, again, the reason why it depends on, like, mixing things up and your team, like, kind of confusing Joel is because no one is really guarding one-on-one. That's what makes him so good is he's hitting all those mid-range shots. He's a very powerful force. Uh, Honestly, like, one thing that kind of disappoints me just from, like, a fan perspective is that I don't get to see Mo Wagner overplaying him to one side again and then be just bull rushing him, which he did like. You'll get some of that with Daniel Gafford. Don't worry. Yeah. But like he, at least Daniel Gafford's a little. So like, it's not like, like Mo Wagner was like a paper in the wind just getting thrown around out there. And I will say of Gafford, like, I think you're right. Defensively, it could be very rough for him trying to have like when he gets Embiid's facing up on him and he's trying to do the right thing. But I do think out of all the three centers, he could give Embiid the most trouble on the other end, just as a roller. Cause Embiid doesn't love playing against like really bouncy like centers who love to get up and get up mm-hmm. and get off the ground quickly. Like if you're lumbering and slow, like Embiid will just eat you up because he's like you're not stronger than Embiid and you're not right. you're not quicker than Embiid. You know, like you're in trouble there. You need to be able to get up over him because Embiid's probably big weakness. It's why they don't use him in a ton of pick and rolls before this, or is because Embiid's not too much of a lob threat. He takes a little while to load up and jump and then get that ball in the air. So if you, as the roller yourself, can get off the ground quickly and a lot, like you can have some success against him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gafford is the best player of the three of these centers by pretty wide margin. So I I agree with you. Just even beyond that, I mean, some, but also some of that is tied to Beal as well because um, one of the reasons that guys can lob, that you could get lobbed over him is that he's jumping out to guard maybe a little for at the wrong time to guard a threat coming off the screen and so if you've got like like it i know we're looking ahead but like i if i were the 76ers i would be rooting very hard for new york to beat atlanta if i win this series because i feel like trey young may provide some problems in this regard with john collins where you, the screening action like joel's gonna have to lunge out at trey young which opens up space for the roller to then get behind him uh, that would be the concern. Uh, and again, other than Bradley Beal, though, I don't know who that player is for the Wizards. And I think that's why I mean, Thomas Bryant had had interesting big games against the Sixers before he got injured. Like, that's the dynamic that you would have to worry about. Um, but, you know, that's it, it's true. I mean, the, but that's the challenge, right? Like, it, you can't Daniel Gafford can't be in the game if he's got five fouls in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's like, going to be the challenge. So aside from, you know, Gafford's arrival, who you just said was the best of their big options, um, what, what do you credit the, the kind of late season turnaround for Washington? Was it just Westbrook getting a little healthier? Was it the, the roster reconfiguration and kind of settling on the right pieces around the, the stars? Like what, what most accounted for in your mind, this 16 and six stretch end of the season? Mm-hmm. I mean, Westbrook getting healthy is, I mean, if you had to do a pie chart, he's probably gobbling up most of that. You know, we can talk all we want about schematic adjustments and little things. And you guys know I love going into that stuff. But yeah, I mean, most of it is Westbrook getting healthy to the degree that he's gotten healthy. I think once you go beyond that, um, I actually think one area that you haven't mentioned that I think is actually fairly significant is that defensively the Wizards really improved in the second half of the season. And I think the biggest reason why is that they just simplified their scheme like crazy. You know, they just p- played centers, played a more traditional drop, stopped doing some of this like more aggressive stuff and just it made everyone's job a lot easier just to know you have 
a guy standing in the lane there, uh, whether it's Gafford or Lynn or Lopez. Uh, I just think that that made things easier. I also think playing they've they've started to play players who really fit with Russell Westbrook's style, guys who don't necessarily get the ball. I mean, they just so blatantly centralized their offense around Russ and Beal to the degree that it was just ridiculous. And, you know, it was what they really needed to do. Um, so now you're, you're seeing guys like, I think Raul Neto is an interesting uh, kind of player for the Wizards in this regard. And you guys know him relatively well, right? He played two or three years in Philly. Well, yeah, yeah Neto, Neto only played the one year. We're very, we are familiar. Felt like two or three. <laughs> Between him and Ish, you guys are collecting all of the process point guards from the Sixers. How old That's is right. the process point guard he was just last year? Isn't the we, process we ongoing? The process never ends. Well, yeah. I mean, like Ish Smith is very much a process Sixer. Like the ten and seventy-two Sixers go five and seventy-seven if Ish isn't on that team, and we very much well know that. Wait, so it the, was the, the Colangelo's move, Jerry Colangelo's move, demanding <laughs> that Sam Hinkie bring back Ish Smith so they could finally get that first win. I believe it was his first move, right? Yeah. Um, I just read uh, Jake Fisher's book. He's a good friend of good friend of mine. And I remember I'm reminiscing a little bit on those teams, and obviously Ben and I talked about them a lot on the pod. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, but back to the point, I suppose. Like Neto is a a really good kind of complimentary catch and shoot, catch and go type of player that he doesn't. I mean, part of the appeal of having Neto is that he's a point guard size player who doesn't actually play point guard. And so that's really helped uh, getting him more time with Russ. The center rotation has really helped. I think for as well as Gafford has played and as many Bulls fans are like, why did we trade that guy? And I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't love that trade and I was wrong about it. I think this is like a perfect fit for him because he just needs to roll to the rim and catch lobs and catch duckins. Russ will find you there. He doesn't have to make a lot of plays on his own. So playing more players like that, re- kind of calibrating the offense around Russ, maybe running Russ less in pick and roll and letting him kind of go uh, to work on on one. A lot of the stuff that frankly Houston did out uh, with him that improved outside of instead of giving him space, now you've got him you're giving him runners. So. I think those are some key factors as well but i mean most of it is that russ just sort of just whatever whether he was unhealthy before whether he was you know this is a guy who's such a routine oriented player you know going to a new place like it does take him a while whatever you want to call it that's probably the biggest reason for their late season surge and you know the other thing too is that like the appeal of having a player with russ's mentality is when everyone else is sort of a little labored because of this long season, like he's still coming at you. And so I, I like, for example, I don't think that there's a world where they start 17 and six and limp down the stretch. Like there's something about that order that is of, of events that like works for Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like this interesting dichotomy, like that you just explained there between these two teams where you talk about the wizards got everything together as they simplified their defense as they the offense simplified to the point of it's Russ and Beal doing their thing basically everyone else your job is to amplify and just finish what they give you mm-hmm. and then, like what you mentioned the Sixers this whole season has been about simplifying the offense to like Embiid is getting a face up from the p- spots he likes Embiid is almost unstoppable and we're going to have shooters around him then we'll have like Danny, you get to shoot as many corner threes as you want. Ben, you run in from slot cuts in the dunker spot and finish plays off like that. Seth, you're going to get like little Iverson actions and then pick and rolls out of that with Embiid because you'll get some open shots out of that. Tobias Harris, you get you get pick and rolls and you get, if there's a smaller guy matching them up on you, you're like freakishly strong, so just back him down and shoot a favor. Mm-hmm. This whole yeah. Sim- these are our roles this is what we're good at shake milton you're coming in and you're shooting the ball all the time as a six man yeah I, it's kind of that offense you're the like greatest perimeter defender alive do your thing right it's actually kind of funny that this is it, you're exactly right it's funny because like isn't this exactly what doc rivers didn't do with the clippers and that was the big point <laughs> and now it comes to philly and he's able to build this like very simplified structure it's it's just funny how team dynamics really affect a lot and coaches are very much um just a product of who they're they're coaching would you would you be at all worried that maybe it probably won't 
you would think at least the Sixers are talented enough that it shouldn't hurt them in this round or the second round against the Hawks or the Knicks. But do you think in an Eastern Conference Finals against the Nets or the Bucks that maybe kind of like how the Bucks, everyone says they got beat the last years because it was so much like this is what we do. There's mm-hmm. We don't switch things up. It's like this is the system. If the system isn't working, just play it better. Like, do you think the Sixers could run into anything like that where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. They're very simple. We're very good at what we do, but maybe the Bucks are in the conference finals and they throw something weird at you on defense, or they start yeah. to get in trouble with their awesome, awesome like defensive personnel. And it's like, okay, what do we do now? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is yes, absolutely, and that's why I think they're they're fortunate to be in the side of the bracket that they're on rather than the side of the bracket that they're not. Um, you know, that's. Uh, it's hard. You can't really have it both ways as, as a Sixers fan because, I mean, the problem with last year is that the structure made no sense. Oh, yeah. Don't remind us. <laughs> right. So now, now you have a coach who, like, brings a structure that does make sense. Then it's like, well, then now it doesn't make too much sense. Like, that's just sort of – you can't really have it both ways, um, you know, <laughs> in that regard. But, yeah, I, I think it is, a, it is certainly a concern. I, I think although Doc has had a history of just sort of – poor playoff collapses that you worry about. I don't know if it's necessarily a matter of schematics. I think it's a matter of personnel a lot of ways. You know, it's just like, this is a boring answer and one that six fans don't necessarily want to hear, but like it's not it's not a clean fit between Simmons and Embiid. Like, you've got to figure out, you've got to really be purposeful about what you do with everyone else. And so, if you th- are throwing something that doesn't make a whole ton of sense. Like offensively, I worry about them in these, in these playoffs. Like, I just, I don't know if like they're going to be able to generate good shots when they need them. I mean, that was a concern coming into the season. And so they did during the season as much as they could, you know, they've done the best they could with what they've got, but I mean, those problems don't just go away because you replace the coach and a couple of the players, you know, they're always lingering. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of a concern. I think, um, where you see Joel get the ball will be kind of interesting. Uh, they do like they do sort of like to run those sort of half pick and rolls so that he basically catches the ball at the middle of the key. I'd be curious to see if we see a lot more of that. Um, but no, I mean I am concerned. I, I you know again like I they got lucky draw wise, but I do think Atlanta offers a lot of problems for them on offense plus their flexibility uh, on defense. Uh, with all the pieces they have, like I, I think that might be a challenging series for them. Now, the flip side of that is Brooklyn. Let's say they get Brooklyn. I, I want to th- Milwaukee. I want to throw out for a second. Let's just say they get Brooklyn, um, and they somehow get past this. Brooklyn's such a flexible team where it's like you don't even know exactly what their identity is. Like they just have so many different options and so many different ways that they can beat you. The flip side of that is if you're Philly and you can get Embiid the ball in preferred spots, and you can overcome all those Nets junk defenses, you can now use your style of play to slow the tempo and kind of bludgeon bludgeon the Nets in a way. I mean, that's your chance of victory. And you can't do that unless you have a strong identity and a strong style of play. So it just it really depends on the matchup. But in general, I, I, I think it's less of like a, we can't adjust and more of like, a, look, this personnel has its limits. And in order to get the most out of it, you have to be very careful and you have to have a lot of things fall into place. And yeah, in the playoffs, sometimes things don't fall into place so easily. Yeah, we're certainly glad the days of having three different guys all try to post up at the same time are behind <laughs> us. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't don't be surprised if you see some weird Tobias Joel Ben stuff in like kind of where it gets tight. You know, this is an interesting test for Philly. I mean, when the going gets tough, like what exactly do they do they devolve? It, it's, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, if it's anything like the regular season, it was basically like they I mean, we and Sean joked all year, like we we were worried at the beginning of the season, like, oh, is the offense maybe too reliant on Joel just make tough shots, but then he kept making them all They're year. not tough shots, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, some, some of them are. Like, I mean, there are a few he pulls out every game that feel – like, they start to feel easier, but, like, it is kind of ridiculous how well he was shooting for a while. And then – so that's one of their things. And then their other thing is if it's a team who has a strong defender against the beat or is throwing a lot of attention but doesn't have a good wing defender, like, 
I mean, the example I always go back to is their overtime win over the Jazz, where basically the entire overtime offense after they got there, mainly behind Embiid, was the Jazz don't have anyone to guard Tobias Harris. Tobias is posting up, and he scored like four times in a row. Yeah, I remember that game. Tobias was kind of the unsung hero of that game, and as you you could argue of the whole season. Yeah, they just did not have anyone like because he's been hitting that fadeaway all year. He's really, really strong in his shoulders, and he can turn over you and finish. So their identity is very much like (laughs) either it goes down to Embiid, Embiid and Tobias are going to try and take advantage of mismatches, and then. Seth and Danny are spacing the floor, and people do not want to help off of either of them, which, of course, you know, leaves and sins, which you, as you would say, is like the clunkier fit. The Sixers kind of hope, he, like, just with his energy and, like, being able to move and cut, like, sometimes that he kind of mitigates that. And then mainly that defensively, he's so good, he gets most of that value back. Right. But I like, mean, he is the most important player in the postseason for them. Like, yeah. there's no question about it. And I mean, it seems just from talking to Ben, it seems like his season's been a little a bit of a roller coaster for fans right it just seems like very easy yeah he's sort of and there are times when it's like man like how could anyone doubt this dude and then there are times where it's like god can you just do more and you know he suffers a little bit from what i think anthony davis suffers with sometimes where it's like the stuff he does do seems effortless and the stuff that he can't do seems effortful uh, so he kind of looks like he's not playing right. I mean, his his movement off the ball is going to be really critical um, because, look, if he's if he's throwing the ball to Embiid and he's like kind of a presence around the hoop, I kind of I don't know what the name the technical name for this is, but like sort of you know that like kind of dunker spot to like middle of the lane kind mm-hmm. of I call it the dunker spot middle of the lane corridor that like kind of the Wizards make a lot of use out of with their bigs and Simmons is does a lot of, you know, if he's like kind of traveling that corridor really, really uh, um, aggressively, then, I mean, there's a lot you can do now. Now you, you open up some high low stuff. Now you open up his passing in the middle of the floor. You know, I think that's really dangerous and that may make Philly's offensive perhaps their spacing issues just totally go away. And that is an instinctual play too. I mean, that's the type of thing where if you're getting junk coverages and he's on top of that and he's cutting into open spaces, that's the way you break it. But there have just been a lot of games this year where he kind of is not on top of that corridor. He's just sort of sitting there around the basket. And that's, I mean, that's really going to be the key, I think, to their playoff run. Um You know, in this series, he's going to get plenty of chances to run because the Wizards will run up and down. I think it's, I think you're right that you should just put him on Westbrook and let his size just kind of own Westbrook and just take him away. Like, I wouldn't mess around and put him too much on Beal, especially with Beal as a hobbled in a hobbled state. But if he's kind of moving well without the ball in half court offense, like, then I think Philly has a real chance to win this title. And if he's not on top of that, if he's a little paralyzed, then I think they have a real chance of being upset early. Not by the Wizards, but maybe in the second round. Yeah, Sean, I was going to ask you then, like, just overall, like, confidence level, maybe even, like, a series prediction. How are you feeling going into the Sixers-Wizards series? I, I'm extremely confident. I don't think it could go beyond five. I, I think a sweep is very much in the, in the possibility. How dare it, you? How dare you? <laughs> I mean, you said it yourself. You know, Beal's the guy that gives us problems, and he's not even his full self right now. Right. So I, I just don't see how they're going to contain Embiid and Tobias offensively. And if they have to get in a shootout, it would really need to be a game like back in January where Beal went off for 60. And if he's not a, a 100%, like, what, what are they going to do? It's not like they have a lot of – secondary scoring options especially if ben is on russ and he can kind of neutralize him to a certain extent i it's i just don't the wizards just don't have the the horses in this race i i I think it's a pretty clear six or series win here for me um just get through it healthy is probably the the preeminent thing the sixers need to do sean and mike this is kind of for both of you but you mentioned mike how like a lot of Doc Rivers' past, past playoff struggle has been with personnel. I mean, everyone has seen the Evita Zubats and Montrezl Harrell numbers from the Nuggets series where it was pretty clear what was going on and they didn't really adjust. Like, 
I, the Sixers like starters really have not, they've been great all year and they've some of their bench guys, but like, it's a big complaint Sixers fans have had is doc, like still playing these all bench lineups that seemingly always give up leads in the start of the fourth quarter. Cause they just like completely fall apart offensively without their anchors and Embiid and Tobias out there. And like a guy like you could see playing is Mike's get a decent amount of time in these playoffs, despite not playing very well all year. Like, do you think that's something they should be worried about? Like, them not adjusting when it's pretty clear, like, hey, you got to scrap some of these guys from the rotation, or maybe this just isn't going well. You need to mix this up. I believe Doc has blown three of the the three three one leads in his career. Yeah, the Magic Piston Pistons one from way back, mm-hmm. and then there was the Clipper, the most infamous one. I mean, Clippers Nuggets last year obviously was pretty bad. Then there's the Clippers Rockets one with the theme. Mm-hmm where the Clippers had the ninth-point lead and then Corey Brewer and Josh Smith erupted in the fourth. Yeah, yeah. Worst worst three-point shooter based on number of attempts in NBA history, Josh Smith suddenly getting hot and (laughs) turning that series around was one of the most improbable things ever. That game is, like, weird. Like, the Clippers in both that game, watching the Clippers collapses is, like, fascinating. I know this is getting off topic, but, like, I mean, just remember game watching Game Seven last night was like one of the spookiest things. I just watched as a fan was like, oh my gosh! Like you could actually see like, I started to think maybe the curse is actually real for the. It was pretty much like, what is going on right now? They yeah. they do not want to play basketball at all. They it's it's like the uh, Ralph Wiggum gif. Like you can see the moment where their heart breaks in the Simpsons. <laughs> like yeah, like Jokic is just like. Jokic was like just messing around with them by the fourth quarter and they mm-hmm. looked like they were just completely shocked all looking around like okay when did things start changing now and then they just didn't and if you go back to that Rockets Clippers game six it's like the comeback starts happening and the Clippers are all just like looking around at each other like why is this happening when's it gonna stop when is right. it gonna stop now the Sixers well the Sixers yeah. have a history of like heartbreak in the playoffs it's nothing like the Clippers where you know it's like just depressing at a certain point the mm-hmm. Sixers had some rough outs like we, we mentioned every every episode we mentioned the two minutes greg monroe played in game seven of the toronto series that mm-hmm. basically cost the night <laughs> here's the thing every single team has a lot of heartbreak because only one of them wins every year the lakers and the celtics fans don't get to complain about any of it though okay maybe so um titles you don't complain about the oh they'll find a way every fandom is about complaining about missed opportunities that's exactly what it is um it's about like kind of our misery i we say our misery is worse than yours but don't you dare tell us that we're more miserable than you like we're allowed to say it and you're not that's fandom um as far as the the series goes i would um my thought is i think that the wizards might steal one of the first two and beal has his one like sort of uh awesome game and then kind of by as the series goes along he deteriorates physically and i mean I, i've said it before like i i wouldn't be surprised if like he is just shut down by by like game four uh i hope that's not the case but um i think there's gonna be one game maybe two where the sixers kind of get like sort of their off their half court offense is just so scrambled and strange the Wizards are able to get out and run and get a lot of points on the break. Westbrook has one big game and send things into a momentary panic until order is restored. I may be trying to speak that into existence so I can taunt Ben, but I think that that's the most likely scenario. Like, I mean, look, Beal is a Beal is still a gamer. I mean, he 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 didn't really have to do much in that Indiana game the other night because the Pacers didn't really offer all that much. Uh, but in that Charlotte game in particular over the weekend, you know, he's still capable of kind of having those stretches. They just, I just don't think he can do it as consistently. So I, I would expect him to have one game where he's really kind of looks like the real Bradley Beal um, in this series. And that would, so I, I think it might, I, I would be surprised if this is a sweep, but I'm not breaking the Wizards to win it. That's for sure. Yeah. I, See, it feels like always a cop-out when I, like, pick a series to go five, especially because it's like, oh, yeah, this team is clearly better than them, but I'll give the team a one game because, you know, basketball, it's 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 unpredictable. Right. So it feels like a cop-out, but it does feel like what could happen here, like, because you're not confident that the Sixers will just 
they're not the Sixers have been a great team. They've not been the team where it's like you're confident they're going to come in and just destroy their competition and walk away. So it feels like five, maybe six as I am, but I would guess five is probably where the series ends. Uh, do you think that we'll get at least, like you said, we'll probably get one Westbrook where he's doing Westbrook things. He is getting downhill. He is grabbing every offensive rebound. It feels some of the Rangers playing all that kinds of stuff. Do you think we get like one Westbrook game where he takes 30 shots, makes 10 of them, and the it's just faster? Uh, I, just one game? Do <laughs> <laughs> you think we see four games like that? Yeah. <laughs> I think it most likely happened too in like, because Westbrook usually has those games in like the elimination games where it's like very, like what was the one Rockets Thunder game back? Yes. In- he had like 48 points and he shot like 45 times. It was one of the most ridiculous, uh, games i've ever watched yeah i think you're gonna get at least one of those there's no question about it you know again with russell westbrook there's not a lot of subtlety there you get when it when he's playing really well you know exactly why when he's struggling it kind of all looks the same that's the thing about russ there's just not a lot of and then you also can consider that scott brooks is his coach like those two are just so joined at the hip for better or for worse that yeah, I mean, I think it's not a, it's not exactly a bold prediction to say that there will be one game where Westbrook is like kind of snarling and shouting at Embiid and getting fights with him and and dominating the game, and then there will be like at least one game where he just like plays an absolutely ridiculous, you know, palms what, what hand on palm like kind of what am I saying? A face palm, that's the word. Face palm in game. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that I think that's fairly likely and i think you're probably right it's most likely to happen later in the series i would also say that there's like there's like definitely i don't know how you would find a bet on this but there you could put money down like dwight and russell westbrook getting double teched like if like that very specific scenario that something will happen between those two because yeah, i mean th- those may you may as well have a negative payout on that one yeah, Dw- like dwight will definitely do something uh honestly just don't want dwight to do well, yeah, Sean, like, depending on how long the Sixers go in the playoffs, like, what are the odds Dwight could get up? Because was it, like, seven technicals in the playoffs and you get suspended? Yeah, so that's certainly in, uh, in the cards, depending on how long this postseason goes for Philadelphia. Yeah, fortunately, things do reset heading into the postseason. But, yeah, <laughs> Dwight has the reputation. And Would that be so bad? If he got suspended a game? Yeah, I mean, would that how how big a loss would that be, really? So it would have been a not as big of a loss back when they had Tony Bradley, who could step in and was like playing pretty well as like a backup there. Um, yeah, they they do kind of need Dwight as the backup center to provide that ten to twelve minutes per game. They now they would probably put Mike Scott at small center and Simmons will lose their mind on Twitter the whole night. Yeah, they mm. they try that Scott Simmons front court, um, but there's just not enough rim protection with that group. Uh, I, Dwight's an important piece. He's been an important piece all season. And yeah, Tony Bradley was a great like emergency third option, but I, I think they will need Dwight, uh, to, not necessarily against Washington, but in the series, which are more hotly contested, they're going to need Dwight to provide a good 10 to 12 minutes every game. What about Paul Reed? That's the thing. Sixers fans <laughs> want it to be Paul Reed. We think Paul Reed is good. I think Paul Reed is good. Doc Rivers likes to play Mike Scott over Paul Reed, even though like a uh, Paul Reed is fascinating. Like he does some of the Dwight things too, where he blatantly pushes guys in the back going for offensive rebounds every single time. He is not trying to hide it, but you know, they can only call it so many times. So he still gets a lot of those. He has arms and he gets those. He's very athletic, like in weird ways, but I forget. Someone's- Are you telling me that uh, a veteran coach uh, has who's like prone to loss aversion in a tight spot will trust a veteran? I, I'm just stunned. Over, I've never over. heard that be a thing that happens in this league, and especially you know, a veteran that he had on a previous team. With him. yeah, I've never I've never heard of that. Uh, you know that that's crazy. Uh, especially like in a moment where it's high leverage and you're afraid to lose, you're going to play the guy who makes the fewest mistakes. Like wow, I'm stunned. I mean, the thing is, Paul Reed, like, I think someone described it as, like, his limbs aren't synced up right. They are operating at different speeds, all four of them, which is kind of like, it is true. Yeah. It's very weird out there. But, I mean, he does, when he gets out there, he makes stuff happen because he has the touch. He's athletic. He has long arms. And he is really working out there. Whereas Mike Scott, like, basically, 
he stopped doing it less. Like there was a point in the middle of the season whenever Mike Scott got in, he tried to take two dribbles into the mid-range area, then shoot like a one-legged step back, which he must shoot like 8% on those. It was just never going in, yet he kept trying it. And he can't occasionally. Again, you, you know what you get from him. Like even when he fails, he fails in a way that you know. And coaches like certainty. That's just, I mean, it'll be 2055. We'll be playing on like Nerf, on Nerf hoops and zero gravity. And a head coach will be playing a veteran over a young guy that to frustrate their fans in a key postseason game. Like it's just, it's as old as time itself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Paul Reed, but if it's game five against Brooklyn, in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Dwight is suspended. I'm not going to feel confident of Paul Reed checking into the three minute mark of the first quarter. Did Paul Reed go up against Nick Claxton. That is <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> but, um, uh, I, I love the guy. I, I want to see him. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him in summer league more so than in the uh, postseason. But so the main message here is Dwight Howard, do not get those technicals. Stay up. The Sixers. Mm-hmm. You. Um, Mike, also, before since we've talked about it now, like, and we gave some Sixers-Wizards predictions, uh, I mean, I don't want to put you too much on the spot here, but, like, you have any predictions for the playoffs as a whole as to who comes out on top of this whole thing? I think it's the most unpredictable playoffs I can ever remember, um, possibly in NBA history. I mean, I'm sure it's not. I'd have to look back. But, I mean, that's certainly the most unpredictable one since I've really watched in earnest. I mean, in my lifetime, I would say it's the most unpredictable one. I mean, not only because of sort of just in general, there is not a clear favorite, um, but also because of COVID kind of and all that kind of making it hard for us to know exactly how good these teams are, you know, all the injuries that happened, the uh, element of the playing game, the uh, just all of those sorts of kind of, things happening i think the fewer games of the regular season so we don't have like as much of a sample to know who's actually good so i think honestly like it's really hard to predict anything because um you know i just think uh that will anchor you to not see what could be unexpected um the one thing i will say is that and i'm i'm not sure if i I'm going to, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, I think if if Golden State wins on Friday and gets Utah, I think the Warriors are going to win that series. That's the one big bold prediction I'm going to make. I mean, what, what about that matchup makes you so confident in saying that? The combination of, you know, Gobert as a, as a, um, rim protector obviously the, the the criticism with him is that he, he if you have a guy who can pull up and shoot that gives him problems i think that in general that criticism is perhaps overblown but there's guys who can pull up and shoot from long range and then there's steph curry <laughs> and so i think that that will give him problems when you combine also the degree to which like how many different ways steph curry pulls up and shoots threes I just think that's going to be a huge challenge for Utah to deal with. Uh, it doesn't their offensive, their defensive skill is not built to beat that type of player. And you also combine, um, yeah. So I, that is a problem. And then on the other end, I think Golden State's ability to switch physically and will take and like sort of the like kind of guys that they have uh, will neuter a lot of what Utah likes to do on offense. Um, so. I just think there's significant matchup concerns in that matchup uh, for the Jazz. And I respect the hell out of what they've done this year. I think they're uh, a really good team that would probably be favored almost over almost any other team. But that matchup is like there is a lot of like kind of 07 Mavericks versus 07 Warriors vibes to that matchup where just that one idiosyncratic team going up against a team that's built to stop a much more traditional uh, style of play. I, I just think that's a brutal matchup for them. Um, meanwhile, if they get Memphis, I think that's a sweep. <laughs> Sean, how about you? What, do you have any, like, uh, do you want to get any predictions out there for the playoffs as a whole? I'm sticking with uh, Brooklyn. You know, we said that before the season, that was the team that we thought would uh, overperform their, their expectations and, and the, the kind of preseason odds. Um, the Harden trade obviously wasn't something anyone had on the radar before, so that only strengthened our kind of belief in their long-term success. I think it's going to be a, a Sixers-Nets 
Eastern Conference Final. I, I, I'm still struggling to wrap my head around how they would stop all three guys. And I just don't think the Sixers – I don't think the Sixers have the offense to kind of get into those high-scoring games and come out on top more often than not. Um, all season long, they've been an above-average offense just because of Embiid's brilliance. And they've caught him gotten by on being the best or second best defense all year. But against Brooklyn, I, I think that that's kind of the skeleton key that unlocks the cage that is the Sixers defense. Um, so, I, I, yeah, if, if they're healthy, I'm still I'm going with Brooklyn. I'm sticking with that as, as much as it pains me to say it. Joel Embiid's got to draw like 20, shoot 20 free throws a game for them to win that series. And it might happen. It, it might yeah. happen. Get it, Brad. Um, Sean, you know. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't catch that. Who do you have coming out of the West? Uh it's tricky. I because it's 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 weird because you have the Lakers that have just gotten healthy and now they're the seven seed and Phoenix has played tremendously well this season. Now they're looking at the defending champs with the best player of the generation and. Uh, another probably future hall of famer in ad and like that's you got to really hate yourself as a suns fan that you finally get a two seed and here you are having to play the lakers um you know and as mike kind of laid out that the warriors jazz series would be super interesting as well so yeah it's it's a weird year where seven or eight are just as intriguing as you know the one and two teams um and then the Jamal Murray injury kind of throws the Nuggets contention hopes in a, in a little bit of a, a muddle. Um, I know, I know the Nuggets were your squad, Daniel, but uh, you know, um, I guess I'm going to go with the Clippers just because I, the way you said it is like how I think everyone who's picking the Clippers is like, I guess. Clippers, like, yeah, I think like, it's the right reaction. It's like that's what everyone's kind of because you look around. It's almost like picking off all these teams. Like, it's hard. People have trouble trusting the Jazz because of what they know about the past and what they worry about most certain matchups. They have trouble picking the Lakers because of the health. They the, because they have that tough path. The Nuggets because now their health is basically down the drain. And right. Like, pick them off one by one. It's like, well, it should be the Clippers. You're basically you're basically like trying to diagnose a rare a rare like kind of medical condition where you're just trying to rule out options. Yeah. And what you're left with is just the one that is least likely to be wrong. Right. Rather than yeah, we the ran one you actually think is true. So we know we know that doesn't have the markers for this condition. Yeah. But also um, the Clippers, the franchise that literally in 50 years has never once made the conference finals, and last year had one of the most had like a strange very visibly jarring collapse and has also this season had some games like what was their one game against the bucks where they just completely like exploded like in the fourth quarter like in a bad way like self-destructed completely and it's like you kind of get worried about that stuff happening and i i'll have to throw a person out there because i forced it on you two guys um like i agree sean like the nets like i really think the bucks might be able to beat the nets I do too, by the way. I, I mean, I'm not sure they will, but like, I think that that's, they match up very well with them. The, I actually, I, I'm like kind of a little scared to make the Bucks pick, but I actually kind of like them in, in these like, playoffs. If they can, if they can get past that matchup, like I kind of like their chances. Like I like the Bucks a lot. I just feel like as long as you tell me Harden is healthy by then, if you have those three and you have Joe Harris and you have, pieces the Nets can still throw around them I just think that's going to be too much too much offensive firepower to keep up with and enough defensive like just like guys like Harden and Durant as much as like the defense can get bad I still feel like they're both athletic enough tall enough have long enough arms that you also throw throw guys like Claxton Jeff Green who can just like get around enough you can just again it's like piecing together enough of a defense to survive with how good their offense is in the come out east and then I mean, you, you hit on it, Sean, but I'm so upset about the Jamal Murray injury. Like, obviously, it sucks the most because him as a person, you feel for him. I was going to pick the Nuggets to win the title. I thought Me they too, were. actually. I, I, I thought, thought this was – I thought it was all coming together. They looked incredible in those 10 games. It was like, holy crap. Jokic is basically playing better than, like, anyone in the league by a wide margin. Jamal had completely come into his own. 
Porter Jr. has emerged as this like shoot, like shooting freak at six eleven that is hard to understand. Aaron Gordon like just like fill all the gaps from there, and they have all these bench players who it's like the saying like you don't play any guys who suck. Like they're all they're all like pretty good. They do different things that can help you. They have some athletic cutters. They like they had this, this place, and it was very much like I was thinking the Nuggets might just like go turbo mode in the playoffs and run through it. But, but now- they had they had a, quite a lot of uh, 04 Pistons vibes with that midseason trade before that injury. And yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it, it just the there are just too many ways that they could. It's hard to scout the Nuggets because they have so many ways to beat you. Uh, the last thing I want to say before I have to go is to go back to the the Brooklyn thing. Um, one of the things that I think is important to note with the Nets is that there's a lot of talk of like, well, can their offense, is their offense just too powerful for their defensive issues to be magnified? Like our team's just going to, they're just going to over firepower everyone. To me, the key to, this is true for Milwaukee and this is definitely true for Philly. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm not quite all the way there and saying they're the no doubt favorite is that it's less about, offensive versus defensive firepower it's more about tempo control you know Mm -hmm. the nets have obviously a really good half court offense but where they really kill you is if the game is kind of helter skelter if they're able to force a miss if they're able to not foul and then in transition they're impossible to match up with so the way you beat that and one of the reasons why i think milwaukee has a chance is that you have guys like Giannis and Embiid for philly who can just tempo control them from the inside you know if you're able to kind of draw a lot of fouls if you're able to kind of reduce the game to sludge and make it station to station and you also combine the sort of new alignment that the bucks are having with their dunker spot you know if you're able to kind of make it so that brooklyn's got to play a half court game yeah they got a lot of firepower but it's much more neutered so to me like kind of if you've got you can't obviously have like a slow guy uh, kind of engineering that, but if with, I think, I think Giannis has a better chance at Embiid because Embiid uh, you can t- deny him the ball and there's a lot of other problem hiding spots on that team. Giannis, I think, especially with the way he's being used, like they're, they've been more creative and kind of getting him the ball closer to the basket. If you can do that and he can kind of just control the game from inside out, you have a chance to beat Brooklyn, no matter how much firepower they have. If they're if they're taking the ball out of the rim every time, like you have a chance. So to me, that's kind of the the real key. It's less about matching their firepower; it's more about kind of controlling their tempo. Like you guys are, are you guys soccer fans? I am. Okay, so it's like it's like if they get in the run of play, and if the game, you have to basically pack the midfield in order to slow like kind of a top team or or play a high line and just reduce space it there's a way that you can do that against Brooklyn and neuter some of their scoring capacity I mean you might still lose because they they will hit a lot of jumpers but that's your chance and I think both of these east teams can do that so I I actually think the east is kind of still pretty wide open too Mm -hmm. and I'll just throw it out there because I'll probably tweet out my final prediction like very soon but if I had to say now I'll stick with nets over lakers which i had lakers over nets preseason and uh, i i really don't know like it's just so hard to pick any of this it's gonna be the most unpredictable playoffs i mean the other thing is there are going to be factors that decide these series less so perhaps covid related than i think we had thought like like basically someone going out there's also the other element you have to consider is like the different sizes of the crowds due to um due to COVID, due to COVID restrictions. Don't the Blazers like not have a home crowd basically? Right. I mean, I, I don't remember like where everyone is capacity wise, but you have to consider that like not every home court advantage is created equally, and like how is that going to change? Um, I think that's another factor that you have to consider. Um, you also have to consider these guys are just dead tired, it's just exhausted, you know. I think who's the team that really has a lot in reserve? It's hard to say. Like who's the team that just sort of snaps? Um, just there are just too many unpredictable elements. I think to make accurate predictions for what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Sean, anything you want to fire off here before we get going? No, I'm just uh, excited to finally get some 
meaningful basketball games here for the Sixers. It's been aside from the Miami game, which I we don't immediately erased from my memory. Talk about that game. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I saw I saw that it was on the schedule, but I have no recollection of what actually took place. Um, but aside from that game, we haven't had really meaningful games in quite some time. So looking forward to those. And I'm hoping that next week when we talk, we're not bemoaning the fact that Doc still refuses to take Danny Green off Beal and Beal's absolutely going off. Mike, thanks so much for coming on with us. This is a great time. Uh, I mean, it always feels weird to ask people with much larger followings than us to plug their work, considering we're ask, acting like we're doing them a favor. But if anything you want to plug before you get going? <laughs> no, I mean, I, uh, I'm i just, I got to focus on the book this playoff. So I, I'm not entirely sure how much stuff's going to go up live. I've got a lot of work to do on that. So we'll see. Um, I'll probably do a few more live chats during games. Yeah, and you can find that on the locker map, like uh, or Twitter Spaces. Twitter Spaces, uh, yeah, and on locker room, it's the Limited Upside podcast or Limited Upside show. Um, and yeah, make sure you like whenever Mike's book does come out, make sure you go ahead and grab it. Everything he writes, Spring twenty twenty two. It's all really great stuff. It'll teach you a lot more about basketball and, like you said, like the X's and O's, as you said, tactical evolution, just understanding like what you're watching in front of you. And hopefully not too dense. I mean, not to plug the. I mean, my my the whole point of writing this book for me is that I think the game has changed so much that it's like outpaced pretty much any possible analysis of it. Um, all the like sort of things that we assumed were gospel about how you win and these schemes you run, I think you have to rethink all of them just with the way the game has spread out. So my hope is that this is going to be kind of a way for an average fan to sort of just process what they're seeing a basketball fan who is kind of just, I mean, even if you won't, won't admit it, like the way the game is played now is just so foreign to, I think a lot of people who grew up with the game. And I think that explains a lot of why it's been some struggles with the league meeting it, reaching its fans, because even though the players themselves are really exciting. So my hope is that this book will kind of, help you re-understand, reimagine, not in terms of tactics. I know I said tactical evolution, not in terms of jargon, but more in terms of like what is actually going on and what are the forces that have created this game. And most importantly, like what, what is still true and what is not about the game that you grew up with? Well, that sounds like an incredible promo right there. Already super excited for when that comes out. And yeah, just thanks so much for coming on with us. We're really in the Sixers Wizards series now. <laughs> thanks for having me guys thanks Mike alright everybody me and Sean will be back next week to talk to you again hopefully with some good news but then we'll, we will see you next time